Good morning to everybody. I pray that you brought your Bible today, and if you did, open it to chapter 41 of the book of Genesis. Chapter 41 of the book of Genesis. And you'll notice in the bulletin I put in there, and if you didn't get a bulletin this morning, I really want you to be sure to get one, because going out the door of the church, there's a stack of them there, and I put in there some really great notes concerning the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Now, uh, when you would look at this on the, on the surface, without really, without really kind of diving into it, you just say, oh, that's kind of interesting, a couple. No, there's not just a couple. There's so many of them, and I put them all on a list for you. You say, well, why is that important? Jesus said this. He said, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, but they are actually which testify of me. And when you stop to think about it for a minute, what you find here in the life of Joseph and the parallel of what happens to Jesus about 16, 17 hundred years later, it's astounding. I don't know how anybody, especially that is into Judaism, cannot see the unbelievable parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus sold for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold and became a slave for us. Joseph was sold and became a slave, and down in Egypt is where he went. But after we remember he died on the cross, Jesus ascended to the Father. We remember after Joseph came out of prison, he's going to ascend to be at the right hand of Pharaoh. We're going to talk about that today, so it's really important. Next Sunday morning, we have Agape Sunday. We want to invite everybody there. It's a great time to bring somebody new. I have found one thing in common. We all like to eat. So we can change our name to Calorie Chapel, and we'll just eat, and you'll enjoy that. So it's good, uh, and if you want to bring something, you can, but it's not really a potluck. We just like to feed everybody. It's a time of breaking bread together. It's a good time. Well, as we remember, we looked at the life of Joseph. Joseph always had dreams. He dreamed that his mother, father, would, would, and his brothers would bow down to him someday. And oh, they got so uh, outraged by this kind of idea. Well, as we're going to see how important it was. His brothers became insanely jealous of him. He was the favored son. He had the coat of many colors. Many of you remember back in your Sunday school days, and he had this really nice coat on him. He'd go out and check on his brothers that, for the most part, were a bunch of layabouts and goof-offs. He'd come back and bring a report to his dad. And so they got together, and they said, we got to get rid of this brother of ours. Let's kill him. And it just so happened as they were captured him and they were going to kill him. Some guys were traveling through on, a way, on their way to a swap meet down in, in, in Egypt. Actually, they were a bunch of Midianites on their way down to Amalekites on their way down to uh, Egypt. And so they sold their brother into slavery who was then bought by a man who was the captain of the guard. He was the head of the SS. He was a government man. And he was sold into the hands of this man. And he did well in everything that he did. Insomuch that, that um, even his wife, Potiphar's wife, wanted him. And so as we've studied the story, she made moves on him. He got scared he literally ran out of the house for his life. Sometimes the best uh, antidote for temptation is a good pair of tennis shoes. And he ran for his life away from her in which she held rape. And so Potiphar put Joseph into prison. Now, really, Potiphar should have had Joseph killed. I don't believe Potiphar believed that Joseph did it. I believe, though, to save face, because he was a high-ranking government official, rather than kill him, he put him into prison. But that's where he met the butler and the baker who served Pharaoh. We remember the story that they were placed in there, and it's interesting that Jesus was placed between the thieves. Well, you had these two malcontents that were in the prison with Joseph, and they had a dream. 
And he comes in one morning. He says, hey, guys, why are you so bummed out? The butler and the baker said, well, we both had a dream. We don't know what it means. He said, well, tell me the dream. God knows what it means. Tell me. So he told him. He talked about this. And he said, well, God's going to restore you back to Pharaoh's side in three days. Well, that was pretty good news. So the, the butler said this, he said, well, the baker said, well, I had a dream too, and this is my dream. I had some loaves of bread on my head, and the birds came and pecked it away. He goes, whoa, those three loaves are three days. Your head's going to be taken off of you. You're going to be hung. Wasn't good news. Sure enough, just as Joseph said, this is what happened. Joseph said, please, don't forget me in this place. Well, we remember that the butler did until we come into this story today. Now, from the time that the butler was returned to Pharaoh's side to this story we read was two years. Meanwhile, in those two years, Joseph is still in prison. You know, I know a lot of times we think it's been this way. It's always going to be this way. Nothing's ever going to change in my life. But if you're a Christian here today, I got some good news for you. God changes things really fast. And that's the way God works. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, may your Holy Spirit speak to us through it and cause us to understand these incredible parallels between Jesus and Joseph as we read these words to reinforce exactly what you said. They are which testify of you. So now, bless these words. May they not be just ink on paper, but may they come alive by the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, may we remember these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, then it came to pass. And by the way, for everybody here, whatever you're going through, if you're in an uncomfortable place in your life right now, it will come to pass. It will pass. Know that. God loves you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And so God will move you along as you seek to follow him. The second thing we find here, it says, it came to pass at the end of two full years. By the way, God's timing is not my timing or your timing. I don't always know what God works out in these times of wait. But I know that God does work on our personalities and he changes our perspective of things. I often tell people this. I wish you all knew me when I was 18 because I knew everything about everything. I find as I get older, the more I know I don't know. And this is what we'll find in our lives. What is it that changes our perspective? What is it that changes our perspective from one day to the next? Or this idea that if I just had this, I would be happy, and we get that, and we're not happy. What is that? I believe time begins to move us more towards, as a Christian, to the purposes and the callings of God. So he says, two years go by, and Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by a river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed on the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and scrawny. And he stood, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly cows... And the scrawny ones ate up the seven fine-looking fat cows. And Pharaoh awoke. Whoa. All of a sudden, you have you ever had a dream that bothers you? I think we all have. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just really weird. You just get a weird unction or, or whatever. Well, what's really strange here, he has this dream of fat cows and seven scrawny cows And the scrawny cows eat up the fat cows, and they're still scrawny. That's pretty weird. Let's read on. And he woke. Oh, boy. Pepperoni pizza late at night. Got to lay off of that. Okay. He says, 
he slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. And behold, the seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and the, and the full heads, so that Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember the faults of my, of my day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house and the captain of the guard in prison, both me and the chief baker, we each dreamed a dream one night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man who was there, the servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us, To each of us, he interpreted according to our dreams. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged the other. And Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. They shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Now, I like this because... When God moves, he moves quickly. It is interesting that Joseph has been in prison. We don't know exactly how long, but many people estimate from the time he was 17 to the time he was 30 years old. He had been away from his homeland. He had been away from everything. He was accused by uh, Potiphar's wife. He ends up in prison. So there's at least probably 15 or, well, 13 years of him being away from his homeland, him being in jail part of that time, and then two extra years after he interpreted the butler and the baker's dream, now he's called upon. Now, by the way, God's timing is perfect. Maybe if the butler had remembered Joseph and said, oh, by the way, Pharaoh, Last week when I was in prison, this guy had a dream and he did, Pharaoh might have said, well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll remember that. But what happened was Pharaoh had a dream that troubled him exceedingly. I'm always amazed by dreams in the Bible. Oftentimes we think dreams are dreamed by those who love God. But I have found oftentimes in the Old Testament, dreams are dreamed by people who don't know God. We remember that Pharaoh uh, 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 had a dream concerning Abraham's wife. He comes and he says, this woman is not your sister as you told me. This is your wife. God said, don't you lay a hand on her. Happened for other people as well. We remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. He had his dream of a head of gold and shoulders of silver and legs of iron, uh, 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 stomach of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. And this was the world of how it's going to unfold even up to the days that we're living in right now. So uh, all these dreams coming to non-godly people, but godly people who know God, explain to them what it means. Don't be surprised if God calls upon you to interpret a dream for somebody that you know as well. Now remember, you say, but Mike, I don't know what the answer to the dream is. You're right, you don't. But God does, and God can tell you what it means. Now he says, now, Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph and brought him hastily out. When God moves, he moves quickly. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me 
God will give Pharaoh the answer of peace. I like that. He said, and he could have took the credit. He goes, well, you know, you know. You know, no, no. God is the one. You know, God will share his glory with no one. And I'll tell you, there's nothing that will get anyone in trouble faster, any minister, anybody else, when you start taking the glory rather than giving the glory to God. You know, I think it's really sad. Oftentimes I look at these different church presidents of different organizations or popes or priests or whatever. Remember everyone, they put their shoes on, their pants on, just like you do. The only thing that makes us righteous is God in us. There's nothing that I do to make me righteous or make me holy. Paul says in the New Testament, no good thing dwells in the flesh. Have you lived long enough to figure that one out? You can be sitting in church and all of a sudden you can have one of the most profane thoughts in your whole life. Don't you realize this is the battle of the invisible empires? When we realize that God is the one that makes us good, we're not good on our own. I've always used this illustration. When you sin does not make you a sinner. It proves what you are. Big difference. But God loves sinners And when we realize and really stop and are honest with ourselves, we realize sin does not do me, do you any good. Because what it does is it takes us away from God's best for us. Now, you stop to think about it for a minute. When we go out and we get obliterated, either with our favorite bong or our favorite six-pack, We're obliterated. We're not at our best, are we? Have you tried driving that way? (laughs) You won't drive very long. Because it changes us from what God made us to something else. Do you know God loves you and designed you to be who you are? And because he's done that, You're perfect in the way that he made you. I don't need some outside stimulus to change me, to make me better. God has made you and me in his image. Remember that. And so anything that I do to take away the image that God has placed in me, in you, on me, on you, this is why we end up in the troubles that we end up in. Because the thing is, I'm not going to be operating at full capacity. Friends, we're in a world right now where all of us need to be operating at full capacity. Why is that? We're in a very treacherous place in our world. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. One of the things that a KGB agent, and we have the, the video up on To Every Man and Answer, Um, If you go there, the KGB agent that defected to the United States, their idea to overthrow America was not invade our shores. It was to cause us to rot from the inside out. And so they worked through many of the college professors, school teachers, and politicians to demoralize America. Because once a nation is demoralized, They're easy prey. In other words, you've lost your footing. You've lost your heritage. You've lost your history. If they can take away your history, if they can take away your heritage, if they can take away the way how we all got here, and the ideals that we were built upon, right and wrong, then we're easy prey for something else. Well, that's what they have done. Have you heard the term relativism taught in the colleges? Relativism is basically this. There is no right. There is no wrong. It's just how you look at it. But the Bible says there is right and there is wrong. Well, once that philosophy gets into the minds of people, then all of a sudden it begins to affect our laws. And it affects the way we all live. Haven't you ever sat back, watched television, go, what's wrong with everyone? How a guy can say, well, you know, I feel like a woman today, 
So I'm going to go into the women's bathroom after little, you know, 8, 10, 14-year-old girls go in the same bathroom. North Carolina says that's perfectly normal. Really? We don't even know what bathroom to go into anymore. Does it cause you to wonder why we don't know how to vote anymore? Does it cause you to wonder why we don't know what's right or wrong? Governor Newsom, California, four months ago, passed a law that said decriminalizing pedophilia. As long as the child is not more than 10 years old, uh, then the person that molests them no longer a crime. So if you don't kill them in the womb, make them all messed up by the time they're adults. That's right. They decriminalize it. It was left up then to the way the judge happens to feel about it. So in other words, a 21-year-old man can molest a 11-year-old boy or girl, and it's okay. Relativism is dangerous. Now, one of the things in demoralization of a nation is, again, we no longer have any standards. True is only true if it's true to you. Is that right? Well, I don't happen to believe driving into a wall at 100 miles an hour will hurt me. Try it. No, on second thought, don't do that. The point is, the result will be the same. Death. Here's why. Because it doesn't necessarily mean how we feel about something establishes whether it's true or not. And this is the problem of the Olson nature. I will say it's true if it's true to me. But when we believe wrong, we live wrong. If you don't believe that there's a life hereafter, then why have any morality in your life whatsoever? I mean, after all, let's go for the gusto. This is the problem. And so what happens is we end up with a world of non-absolutes. We're demoralized, and then things move in. You see, I believe, again, this is why the Word of God is so important in the days we're, we're, we're living in. And when we find ourselves in an altered state, however that might be, I will miss opportunities, you will miss opportunities to lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. You don't know when God's going to call upon you. In this particular case, you find Joseph, who could have been in prison, sulking. Oh, woe is me. You know, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. Nice, fat, juicy one, zitsy, bitsy, squizzy one. I'll guess I'll go eat worms. Kind of, yeah. Well, no. In fact, the Bible says in the preceding chapter that anything that was committed to Joseph, he did with all of his heart. In fact, he's one of the rare people in the Bible that was never caught complaining. I like that. I'm a complainer by nature. I just am. But I have to work on that. Maybe those were some of the things that God worked out in him when he was in prison. I don't know. Because he's about to be transported from a prison to prime minister in a day. So he says, like I say, this is why I believe we need to be um, always on our best we don't know when the Lord will call upon us. So he said, it's not within me, but God will give you the answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of a river. And by the way, there's a few more details inserted this time, probably as Pharaoh thought about it. Um, notice it says, Suddenly there were seven cows that came out of the river, looking fat and fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very straggly, ugly. Such ugliness I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. <laughs> These must have been some ugly cows. Probably don't, don't you buy no ugly cow. I'm sorry. Um, and the ugly cows, the, the, the mangy cows, ate up the seven fat cows, the first seven fat cows. 
And when he had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had just eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning, so I awoke. Also in my dream, and suddenly seven head of, came up on one stalk, of grain came up on one stalk, full and good. And behold, seven heads withered, thin, blighted by the east wind, and sprang up after them. And I saw the thin heads devour the seven good heads. And so I told this to my magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. Now it's interesting here that he outlines this. And if you go back in those notes that I put in your bulletin, you'll notice in verses 16, uh, there is one of the ones there that I I wrote down. Um, God is the only one with interpretation. And Jesus always pointed to his father, whatever was done. Jesus said, I don't do anything that I don't see my father in heaven doing. And so the glory must go to God. And this is just one of the places where we find it here. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. They mean the same thing. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Isn't that amazing? That we know what's about to happen in the world and the world doesn't. The world has a sense of it. Do you really think, America, we can go $30 trillion in debt and not have that effect the way we live here? Do you really think that we can just keep running printing presses without any gold, any silver, any gross national product to back up the money that we're printing? But that's what's happening. Inflation's a wicked thing because it takes away people's labor. Let me explain this. I've used this illustration many times, but just let me explain why it's so important. The world sees things that are wrong, but they don't know what it means. Pharaoh knew things were wrong, but he didn't know what it meant. You as a Joseph, you as a Christ type, Jesus said, that's what the word Christian means, little Jesuses. That's what we do. Now stop to think about it a minute. I use this illustration, so if you heard it before, don't get mad at me, but it's the best one I can think of. Grandma, 1964, sends to her, gives to her two granddaughters $1,000. One, she goes down to the bank and gets 1,000 silver dollars and puts them in a box. The other one, well, that was a little heavy, so she just gives her other daughter, granddaughter a thousand paper dollars, okay? Thousand dollars. 1964, you go down to the bank and get as many silver dollars as you wanted, okay? 1964, a thousand dollars would buy you a brand new car. It'd buy you a brand new Volkswagen bug and uh, a new pickup truck of, you know, six cylinder, full size. They were about, I don't know, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars New. I know it's hard to believe for us today. Okay. Now, one granddaughter calls the other granddaughter up and says, hey, what did you ever do with grandma's money? I don't know. It's still under my bed. Well, I think I'm going to pull it out. So she pulls out and here's the thousand paper dollars. Well, and 1964, when she gave it to us, I could buy a new car. What can I buy? What kind of a car can I buy today for $1,000? Well, if you can find one that runs, if you're lucky, that's it. But the girl who had the 1000 silver dollars, she pulls them out, and they're worth about $29 a piece, $30 a piece. What will $29,000 buy you today? It'll buy you a nice car. What's the difference? They were both a dollar when they were when they were created. Well, it's because one is tied to something and the other one isn't. You don't think people in the world know that? You don't think people in the world see things that are going wrong? Isn't it weird the Bible talks about during the tribulation period, there's going to be a one world religion, there's going to be a one world monetary system. Wow, that's weird. Because I believe of this problem with fiat money. Money printed with nothing to support it. 
They tell stories about in Germany where inflation was so bad that that um, the men were paid four times a day. And the wives would come down, get the money, and as quickly as they could get to the store to buy stuff, because in just a few hours, it would cost more than it did a few hours before. Inflation was that by. There's a record of one person saying that somebody had a wheelbarrow full of money. They dumped the money out, and they stole the wheelbarrow. Money wasn't worth anything. It's paper. Well, that's what happens. People in the world know these things. Pharaoh knew something was wrong. And so he goes to Joseph and says, okay, what you dreamed, Pharaoh, is the same dream. And this is what it means. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven good years. And the seven good years, heads are seven years, uh, and the dreams are one. So the fat cows and the nice plump grain, it's seven years. And the seven thin and the seven ugly, which came up after them, are seven years. And seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come through the land of Egypt. But after that, those seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following it, and it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, this is something that Pharaoh didn't ask for, but this is what Joseph said. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt for seven full year, seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store them up under the authority of Pharaoh, and let him keep the food in the cities. Then the food will be a reserve for the land in the seven years of famine, which will be on the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. Wow! So you know, he told him the dream, but he says, now this is what you need to do about it. Don't be scared when somebody comes to you with a problem and you help them, and then you need to tell them what to do about the problem. Remember, Jesus did this oftentimes. They brought a man sick to him, and Jesus prayed for him, and he was healed. But then he said something interesting to him. He said, Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Can sin cause illness in our lives? Yes, it can. Not every time. We know a lot of people that get sick. And there's a false teaching out there that says, well, if you're sick, there's sin in your life. Not necessarily so. We remember Paul writes to Timothy and he says, take some wine for your stomach and your other infirmities. He didn't say, Timothy, get the sin out of your life or have more faith. But the point is simply this, is that sin can cause bad things to happen to us. And when something happens and God presents the the opportunity to share with somebody, don't be scared to tell them, and this is what you need to do. You need to get right with God. Did you ever think that maybe some of these things might be happening to you because you've left God out of your life and you're making bad decisions upon one another continually? Do you want another 10 years like you just had? And you'll find oftentimes people will almost say, what do I do? Well, repent, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So I believe there's a lot there. Now, Again, there's many of these parallels. I'll let you kind of use the mic notes there on your own. But verse 
37, and we do find that over here uh, as well, um, in whom the Spirit of God dwells, uh, was given the Spirit of God without limitation. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a man as this, in whom the Spirit of God dwells literally? By the way, this is the first time in the Bible where and recognized by the world that the Spirit of God will dwell in an individual or be upon an individual. I think it's really important because when you go to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, that wasn't just for an occasional Joseph or an Elijah or an Elisha or somebody else, but Acts chapter 2, Jesus made it for all of us where the Spirit of God would dwell on us like we would read right here. So he says, and by the way, he took counsel. He said to his servants, he went and said, hey, what are we going to do about this? this? I think this is the real deal here. What are we going to do? So then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch that God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. By the way, this is one of the things you find in the New Testament too. They, they said, how is it that these guys are Galileans? They're unskilled men, but they're so smart, they perceive because they had been with Jesus. <laughs> I'll tell you, you're known by the company you keep. You hang a bunch of, around a bunch of deadhead dumbheads, you're going to be a deadhead dumbhead. You hang around with God, the Spirit of God. You hang around with Joseph and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel, you're going to be wise as well. You're known by the company you keep, Solomon says. So he says, you shall be over my house. All my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. By the way, this is what we find that happened to Jesus. After Jesus was taken from the pit of death, rose from the dead, the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So he says, literally, you'll be right alongside of me. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took the signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments, fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. He had some bling at this point. What that was, was giving him authority. The signet ring oftentimes would be like those sealing rings that, you know, when you send letters back a long time ago, like, well, like, uh, you know, in the early 70s, you would take and drip hot wax on a letter and then you'd have your little seal and you'd push it in the hot wax and then you'd mail your letter. Well, the signet ring was like that. And so when there would be a decree made, it would be sealed with hot wax with the signet ring of the, of the, of the officer so they know who prescribed that and who, so that it couldn't be counterfeited. And so, and it said he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they crowd out before him, bow the knee. So he set them over all the, so he set him over all the land of Egypt. And by the way, the Bible says that um, all the knees will bow to the glory of the God the Father. So we see these parallels all the way through. I'm, I'm, I'm not going through each one of them. That's why I gave you the mic notes. You'll like those. I, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. Without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephath Paneah. I, I don't know exactly how you say these words, but that's as close as I can do. And gave him a wife named Athena, the daughter of Pati um, Paraha, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven years of plenty, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of the seven years that were in the land of Egypt and laid it up in the food in the cities. And he laid up every city uh, food in the fields which surrounded them. 
And Joseph gathered very much grain, and the, the sand is on the sea, until he stopped counting, for it was without number. In other words, he brought in absolutely as much as they could possibly bring in. It was to the max of, of bringing all this grain in because of what was about to happen. And Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, whom Athenath, the daughter of Patipara, priest of On, bore to him. By the way, this is really pretty important because before the famine came, I believe the tribulation period is going to be the famine on the world that's never seen before. And what's really weird is Pharaoh gave Joseph a Gentile wife. And what's really weird is your father in heaven gave Jesus, you and me, a Gentile wife, as, the Gentile wife as well. Just some interesting parallels here. And was born two sons. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and, in my, and, and all in my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And uh, by the way, that's what God does when we come to him. He causes us to forget the things the way we used to live. And, and now in turn blesses us. Um, and, and so then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt, ended. And seven years of famine began to come, and Joseph, just as Joseph had said, and the famine was in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. And so when the land of Egypt was finished, excuse me, famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, and whatever he says to you, do, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe throughout the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. The point is here that I see is that this is where Egypt became a world-governing empire. And it was because of the advice. Everybody else was broke. Everybody else was hungry. And they were coming, given whatever they could do to just get something to eat. When you belong to God, you're going to be a resource for others' betterment. God's going to take care of you. He's promised that. that, that he's, he's made that covenant with you as his children. But it's that God through you will bless others. We don't want to be little Hoover dams and back up the water. We want to let the water flow. That's what God wants to do in your life. And so as God pours down on you, you pour out to others. Because we have a lost world. We have a world that is in famine. And I want to just invite you today that if you're not a Christian, that you might consider Jesus. What are you living your life for that seems to be so important that you wouldn't say, God, whatever time I have left on this earth, I'm going to give to you. Because what are you living for? I, I use that illustration almost every, every, every sermon because I like to go to junk stores. I do. There's only one thing better than a junk store, and that's another one alongside of it. But you know, it's funny. If you've ever been to very many junk stores, You'll notice junk. Now, every once in a while, you find a treasure, and that's why I'm there. But something I almost always find at every junk store are trophies that meant something to someone or others once upon a time. They're now being sold for a nickel in a box. Is that what you want your life to be? You say, well, I did it my way. Yeah, here's your nickel trophy, dude. Because in eternity, it doesn't mean anything. You know, we're here for just a short time, and then we're gone. And maybe you've had an experience. I had a heart attack on December 5th, 
flatlined, um, the widow maker, only 12% of the people that get it survive. I'm a living miracle. I've been dead. I'm back. Okay. But the point is, is this. That could have been all it was. I told my wife two hours before I had my heart attack, I feel the best today that I felt in four weeks. And I had a COVID blood clot that nailed me. (laughs) It wasn't plaque or anything else. It was just a COVID clot. Some people get them in their lungs and their legs and their arms or whatever. I just happened to get one in my heart. And it, it, it knocked me down, man. I mean, I flatlined. From the time I walked into the hospital, emergency doors, to the time I flatlined, laying on the gurney, was 16 minutes. And I thought about that, and I go, you know, God, I, I, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life, but the one thing I never regret, ever, was serving you. Because I didn't know if I was going to live. You know, it's really funny when you're praying and you hear yourself flatline. And I heard that. It was weird. That ain't good. And I was thinking, you know, God, a lot of things I'm sorry for, but the one thing I'm never sorry for is serving you. And I just want to invite you this morning, if you're not a Christian, that you'd consider Christ. There's a whole world of famine out there and people having unctions and feelings and dreams and they know something's wrong, but they don't know what it is. And God has said, I put you, my spirit on you to go out and bless them. And you know, the reaction was, oh, nobody wants to hear that stuff. Certainly wasn't the case with Pharaoh. In fact, he said, I'm so grateful. Here, you you take over all of it. That's the way God works. And God doesn't have favorites. And as I look in the Bible, I see how God's blessing, his hand is upon those that love him. I pray today you're one that does. You see, God loves the whole world. That's not the issue. The issue is, do you love God? And the Bible says, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us all unrighteousness. We serve a risen Savior who demonstrated power over death. So not only did he take away our sins, but he also gave us life eternal. That's a good thing. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask the Lord to come in your life and change you. You might say, yes, I'm around people that I know are looking for answers. I'm looking for answers. Well, I got good news for you. The one who has the answer to your question knocks at the door of your heart right now and says, will you let me in? I want to change you forever. And the Bible says, if you'll do that, he'll do that. I didn't sign a pledge card. I, I, didn't, I didn't sell flowers in airports. All I did was just say, Lord, forgive me. And the Lord changed my life. And he'll do that for you. Because it isn't, it isn't a legal relationship. Well, it's a legal relationship, but it's a love relationship where you just simply say, okay, Lord, from this day forward, Whatever I got left is yours. And you'll be amazed what God will do to you. Every morning when you get up, you say, Lord, today's your day. And you know what? You might be on the way to work and have a blowout. You go, wow, that never happened before. Yeah, that's right. Because when you go to check your tire, your spare, it's flat. Well, gee, that's really neat. God, I pray, and this is what happens to me. So the guy from AA shows up, not Alcoholics Anonymous, from AAA. And he shows up, and as he's changing your tire, he begins to lay on you what's going on in his life, and you sit there and go, oh, wow. You let the tire be flat in the car, and that I would have a flat tire, so I would have to call this guy so he would come and I could minister to him. And that's being about your father's business. You see, it's really neat. Sometimes it's just standing in the store and somebody will bump into you and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry. And say, well, that's all right. I get bumped into all the time. I'm sure your bumping into me wasn't by accident. Hey, do you know Jesus? Boy, I'll tell you, you get some reactions there. I've done that. I remember going in and, and the lady, um, after, after they put the stint in my heart and all that kind of stuff, she was laying there. She says, well, now, do, do, you, do you feel really depressed? I guess a lot of people do. Do you know why? Because after they have a heart attack and they come back to life, it doesn't kill them. They're in depression because they realize they could have died or should have died and their life is meaningless. 
And she says, are you depressed? And I go, no, I feel great. And she goes, oh, how is this? And I said, well, I'm a Christian and I believe that God allowed me to be here. And I said, I said, because I said, I don't believe anything happens to us by accident. And I gave her the whole, I figured, God, if you lay me out in a hospital bed with a heart attack, I'm going to tell her all of it. And I gave her the whole plan of salvation right there. Don't miss an opportunity. Because the Bible says, great your reward in heaven. Listen, the last thing I thought that day is I would have a heart attack and almost die. You don't know. Jesus said, be ready. I, I, I want you to be ready. That you can open the door quickly when the Lord calls and you can say, let's go. You know, one of these days, I do believe that the Lord's going to come and take his church home. And I want you all to be ready. To being about your father's business when he comes, what a great blessing you'll have. Jesus said that, behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me. Paul says in Corinthians 15, in a moment, a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. The dead in Christ rise. Because you see, their bodies, you're going to rule and reign with Christ on this earth for a thousand years. You're going to need a body not just a spirit like in heaven right now where they are. They're going to get reunited to their body. You're going to be transformed moment and twinkling of an eye. You're not going to be, you're going to have the right size nose, the right amount of hair. We're going to look, we're going to be so good looking, okay? And God's going to take us home. For seven years, we have the marriage supper of the lamb, the reward seat while judgment is falling out on this earth. And then at the end, Jesus comes back at the battle of Armageddon, stops it. And the Bible says he sets up his reign on this earth for a thousand years and we will rule and reign with him. That's what we have to look forward to, friends. So, you think, well, that sounds so unbelievable. Have you heard what the people outside of God think this world is headed for? Dawning of the age of Aquarius? Imagined by John Lennon? <clears throat> Ain't happening. Being about daddy's business is so important. If you've never prayed, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask the Lord to come into your life. And then when people ask you questions about life, you can say, well, I don't know, but I know the one who does. That's exactly what Joseph said. So if you need to get right with God, let's just pray right now. Just, just where you meet Jesus, you just turn your life over to him. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I invite you into my life today. And I repent of the foolish way I've lived to define life. So from this day forward, I want to be about your kingdom. I want to be in love with you. So make me the best I can be for you. I believe you died on the cross for me. And your blood covered my sins. And you rose from the dead so I could spend eternity with you. So fill me now with your Holy Spirit. So I'll love you more and love people more. In Jesus' name, amen. You pray.